Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you'll stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'll be reading from the book of Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Good evening, church. We have been anticipating for the last few weeks and been announcing that uh, we'd be very fortunate this evening to have Brother Jeff Smith, our missionary to Alaska, to come visit with us and share his work, what has been going on there. Uh, I was very excited to see him tonight and his family. I took Jeff back here to our bulletin board. Cynthia and Terry, I give you all credit on that to show uh, what all we are doing mission-wise that we're very proud of. But back there on that board, it mentions the following about Jeff and his family. Says Jeff and Amber Smith are currently working with the congregation of the Lord's Church in Alaska, assisting the brethren to fulfill their calling to be on mission for Jesus. Jeff is a native of Anchorage, Alaska, and is married to the former Amber Kidwell. Y'all may remember Amber when she was about this tall. She may have been running around uh, Jesse Clark a little bit at that time as well, one of her friends here. Uh, Of course, Amber's father is our our good friend, Mark Kidwell. Uh, Of course, they attended the Laverne congregation when she was young. They have two daughters, Patsy, who is age five, and Rosemary, who is age one. So we're glad to have them with us this evening. Brother Jeff, come on up. Well, good evening. It is uh, always a joy to uh, be here and to visit with the Laverne Church, uh, otherwise known as the Great Church, right? Got to say that. Got to get it in. Uh, it really is a joy to be here, and I'm thankful uh, for this. You know, we bring you greetings from the Valley Church of Christ in Wasilla, Alaska, and congregations all around the state. Uh, according to my phone, this morning it was negative 10 degrees in Wasilla, and we left after two back-to-back snowstorms, got about three feet of snow, the most snow we've had in November ever. And so um, I, I'm not too sad to be here uh, today. Uh, it has been, it was pleasant this morning, uh, but it is really good to be here and to share with you a little bit about the work that's been going on the past nine months so far. We moved back in uh, beginning, end of February, beginning of March, uh, to share with what, uh, share with you what God is doing in Alaska and what you are partnering with and what you are prayerfully participating in. And so I'm super excited and thankful uh, for this time. 
What I would like to do with the time we have is to begin by looking at three or four scriptures to sort of lay down a theological case or a theological foundation for our ministry and why we are doing what we're doing and try to make sense of what we are doing in Alaska as we are trying to strengthen the churches around the, around the state, about 17 congregations around the state of Alaska. Now, why are we pursuing this? Why are we seeking the growth and the formation of churches and church leaderships uh, around the state? But I hope that this is also an encouragement and a challenge to you in your own context, as you are involved in the mission of God in this place, in this context, not just around the world, as I saw on the bulletin board, but also uh, in your own neighborhoods as well. So if you have your Bibles, I want to begin in Philippians chapter 1. We did read Colossians 1 just a few moments ago, and we will be there in just a few moments. But I would like to begin uh, with Philippians chapter 1, this warm letter that Paul uh, writes to uh, the brothers and sisters in Philippi. And you can see his heart and his affection uh, for these disciples in Philippi uh, very clearly in the opening words of this letter. So we are going to read together Philippians chapter 1. Not sure if I'm advancing this slide or not. There we go. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to notice two things about this text. First of all, I want you to notice the genuine, warm affection Paul has for the brothers and sisters in Philippi. He says, I thank God in every prayer of mine uh, for you. If you remember the Corinthian correspondence, he has this list of all the sufferings he experiences for Christ. And in that list, he includes the daily anxiety he has for all the churches. And so... In order to um, work through that daily anxiety, he is daily praying for these churches, for these brothers and sisters, these newly formed faith communities throughout these missionary journeys, including the saints in Philippi. He says, I yearn for you. I thank God in every prayer of mine. You bring me joy, and I have the affection of Christ Jesus for you. Why? Why does he feel so strongly for them? Among many reasons, one reason is because they are partners with him in the gospel. That's what the text says. You are partners with me in the gospel. And that word partner is really, really important. You are partners with me in the gospel. And as partners, at the end of the book, he actually says, you share in the fruit of my labor. In 15 through 17 of chapter 4, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership there's that word again, with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. But listen to verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
that there is an, an intrinsic connection and relationship between the saints in Philippi and Paul because of their partnership. And as Paul is laboring in this work, they actually share in that fruit. And so in the same way, I want to express my thanks and gratitude to you as partners in the gospel in Alaska. That you are more than just a check writer, right? You're more than just a, a casual onlooker, that you are participants in what God is doing around the state. And I thank you greatly for that partnership as we share in the fruit of what God is doing in Alaska. But secondly, what I want us to note in this text is verse 6. I want you to notice the spiritual trajectory Paul has in mind for these saints. Notice again in verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began something will finish something. He who started something will bring it to completion on the last day. In other words, Paul's missionary strategy is much more than just starting something, much more than just church planting, more than just establishing new faith communities and moving on and hoping they make it well. Right? And sometimes we can get that in our minds if you read the book of Acts quickly and you go through his missionary journeys and it almost seems like he's on a church planting blitz. And many times he has to quickly leave town because of persecution. He's being driven out of town. But if you notice, and we're going to note this in just a moment, uh, when, especially in his second and third missionary journey, you see this intentionality of Paul as he goes back to places he's already been in order to strengthen disciples, strengthen the church to mature the church. And so watering is just as essential in God's mission as planting. The transformation into Christ-likeness is just as, much as, is just as important as making an initial commitment to Christ in the first place. So you see this in Acts 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, 20, strengthening the disciples, strengthening the disciples over and over. In fact, I don't have this on the screen, but in Acts chapter uh, 14, I love this passage, 19 through 23, says that the Jews came from Antioch. This is Acts 14, 19 through 23. Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he's stoned in Lystra, he's dragged out of town, left for dead, he rises, enters the city, moves on, makes more disciples in Derby, comes back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch in order to strengthen the disciples, strengthen the disciples. And that strengthening was twofold. Number one, encouraging them to be steadfast in the midst of persecution. Um, this persecution that he just embodied moments ago in Lystra, uh, he has credibility now especially to encourage them to remain steadfast, right? Because being a follower of Jesus means one who picks up their cross and follows him, right? And so Paul knows that among anybody, and he encourages them, remain steadfast. And secondly, he establishes leadership, because congregational leadership is essential for a congregational growth. You see this especially 
outlined in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, when the ascended Christ gives these gifts to men, and among these gifts are these leadership roles in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry as the church is being built up into the headship of Jesus. Apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, these are all intentional gifts that the ascended Christ has given to the church in order for the church to grow up into the headship of Jesus. And so this is not uh, just a casual side quest for Paul. <laughs> this is an intentional part of his missionary strategy. Strengthen the disciples. Strengthen the disciples. Secondly, if we go to our Colossians passage, in Colossians chapter 1, we read this just a moment ago, verse 27 through 29. It talks about this divine mystery that's been hidden for ages, that's now revealed in Christ, as Jew and Greek are both one in Christ Jesus. Uh, says that Christ is the one, in verse 28, that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. But notice what I highlighted, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And it's that goal that he works so tirelessly to pursue as God is working within him, to present everyone mature in Christ. And if you want to make disciples of all nations, you've got to make mature disciples of all nations, ones who are continually uh, laying down their own life and following Jesus. I also want to note this little verse tucked in Galatians chapter 4. This is the last verse I'll mention. Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 19. Now, if you remember your study of Galatians, you'll note that the tone of Galatians is much different than the tone of Philippians. Do you remember that? In Philippians, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I feel warmly for you. I love you so dearly. Galatians, you foolish idiots. You know, he's just saying, what are you doing? You're turning away so quickly from what you just committed yourself to. But notice why he's so passionate uh, about challenging the Christians in Galatia. My little children, he says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. I mean, that's a graphic image to describe the energy he is pouring into them. I'm in anguish of childbirth until when? Until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed to you. Have I convinced you yet that this is an essential part of God's missional design? That we are to pursue not just the start of something, but the watering of something, the formation of individuals and families and churches into the image of Christ. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, um, he writes, if I can pull it up. There we go. I just got to hit it harder, I think. Just... C.S. Lewis, he says, He came, being Jesus, to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call, quote, the good infection, but notice this line, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. That one, when one becomes a Christian, you die. The old man is dead, the old woman is buried. You're raised to walk in newness of life, clothed with Christ. Becoming a little Christ for the sake of all nations. That when people see you, they can glorify your Father who is in heaven. That the only way we can be the light of the world is if we have the light of the world within us. And we are being, Romans 8, conformed to the image of his son. So growing and maturing is essential for mission. Because ultimately, what is essential for mission is to demonstrate Christ to the world. So with that in mind, I want to remind you of the vision that I laid out when I first came here to present what 
we were hoping to accomplish in Alaska. But our vision is, and this is broad, to pursue unity, leadership development, and growth among the churches of Christ in Alaska. There's about approximately 17 congregations around the state, very spread out. You have about three, you have two congregations that are over 200 members, one of which we work with, the Valley Church of Christ. You have one or two that are hovering right around the 100 range, but most are 30 to 40, and some are 5 to 10. And we have one that's just two people um, doing the best they can to hang on. And so you have this range of challenges, because in Alaska you have three types of congregations. You have one that, we have a road system that covers about a third of the state, and uh, most of the congregations are on that road system, but a lot of the resources are concentrated in the Anchorage, Wasilla area. Just out of curiosity, in this room, how many of us have been to Alaska? Cruises count, just, just so we know. Okay. So we have a handful who have been to Alaska. So maybe you know, maybe you've been to Anchorage. Anchorage has about half the population of Alaska, about 300,000 people or so, 350,000 people. And uh, Wasilla is just about 30, 40 minutes outside of Anchorage. And, and so we're a part of that, that hub of the population and also the resources. And so you have three or four congregations in that area that uh, have resources to use in order to um, invest in, in the work in their area. Uh, most congregations are on the road system, but they might be five, six, or even eight hours away from Costco or from Walmart or you name it. And in fact, I know several families who make monthly trips into Anchorage, five, six-hour drives, load up a trailer from Costco, and then they go home, and then they're, they're set. That's part of life up there, and that affects congregational life as well, uh, lack of resources. It can produce isolation, and it can produce burnout, especially among leaders, especially among preachers. And then you have a few, about four congregations that are off the road system, including the state capitol, which I don't believe is a coincidence that um, they were seeking isolation, uh, but uh, Juno Church of Christ, Sitka Church of Christ, Ketchikan, if you go on a cruise, maybe you've been to those places, and Kodiak Island as well. There's just, that's just another level of Alaska life, the isolation um, for some people, they love that, but that disconnect is not how we are wired according to creation account, that we are created to be with one another, and you see that manifest itself in loneliness and burnout among these brothers and sisters. And so we want to pursue unity, connection, uh, development of leaders, establishment of preachers and elders, and also growth, not just in numbers, helping congregations move into the mission in their own context, but also to grow in maturity, as we just were reading, as uh, the brother prayed in the opening prayer uh, tonight, that we are not just to grow in number, but to grow in Christ-likeness um, as well. And so that's, that's a broad stroke. And there's a lot of things that can fit under this uh, statement behind me, but we're always trying to think through this lens of what's going, how can we be most helpful to this congregation? Now, recognizing that uh, there's no such thing as congregational hierarchy, right? Just because one congregation has more resources or, or more, uh, more people doesn't make them any uh, better or worse than the sister congregation over here. And so we want to be respect local autonomy and yet also uh, be congregationally aware of one another, recognizing that there's one church, only one church, and we are all part of that one church, and being aware of one another. This unity is something that we inherited from generations before us. The churches of Christ were 
Um, first planted in Alaska in the late 1930s, early 1940s, um, when World War II um, was, was happening, a lot of military bases started coming up in Alaska, and so a lot of, uh, a lot of Christians were moving up there. So it's a relatively young church. There's a lot of living memories still, uh, a lot of things that weren't, haven't been written down because people remember, um, my, you know, my, my great-grandfather was one of the first, uh, in, in the first eldership in the state, in the Anchorage Church of Christ. And his daughter, my nana, she remembers going on youth mission trips down to Seward, a two-and-a-half-hour drive uh, back, in, back in the day. And so uh, there's an inherited unity that we are trying to foster and lead, that bring, use that unity to uh, propel us um, forward. I also want to remind you of our, con- our local context. So the, the family that you see on the screen is our mission teammates. They also uh, work with us with the Valley Church of Christ. There's we have three evangelists there. One who's not on, who, oh, I don't have a picture. His name's Robert uh, Kenning. He's been an evangelist there for 25, um, 26 years or so. And, uh, but Mike and I are, have one foot in the life of the church in the valley and then one foot around the state, especially around summertime as we travel around the state, visiting congregations and working with statewide events, things like that. And so that's the Valley Church of Christ in Wasilla, uh, where I'm on a preaching rotation there and involved in teaching in different ways um, there. But the Valley Church of Christ, I would say about 10 years ago, maybe more, uh, knowing the layout of Alaska, knowing the um, resource disparity in Alaska, knowing the gifts that they've been given and wanting to be good steward of where they are locally as the Wasilla is the fastest growing area in the state, they adopted this mindset of wanting to be the Antioch of Alaska, being like the church in Antioch for the state of Alaska. So if you remember your studies in the book of Acts, uh, the first major missional move in the book of Acts after Jerusalem was Antioch, the church in Antioch in chapter 11, and then chapter 13, that place is the place that sends out Paul and Barnabas um, to um, reach other areas, to reach the Gentiles. And it was in Antioch that you first start seeing this intentional outreach, this is pre-Paul's missionary journeys, this intentional outreach to uh, non-Jews. And it was in Antioch that you have Jew and Gentile come together, and it's in that context that they're first called Christians. Christ followers as they submit to the kingship of Jesus. So it's a healthy congregation. Paul and Barnabas, after Barnabas is sent there to investigate, he brings Paul and some others there, and they stay there for a year teaching. They're there for a whole year before they're ever sent out in chapter 13. So it's a healthy place, a place with solid, intentional, biblical teaching, um, working on the embodying the life of the church, and also is a place of sending in the beginning of chapter 13 where they send out Paul and Barnabas and they bring them back and they send out and they bring back. So Antioch is sort of a home base for uh, a region. In the same way, the Valley Church is attempting to be that for Alaska, being just a resource to send teachers and preachers, missionaries around the state to receive them back, including Mike and myself. So I hope that provides a little context. So there's a lot of work we do in the Valley, but just to focus on our statewide efforts, um, this evening, I want to just emphasize our three main focuses as we're traveling and working with congregations. Number one, 
Are we focus on preaching and teaching and encouraging different congregations around the state? And every, every church is different, you know, as you know. If you go in the area and you go to congregation down this, this side of town or congregation that side of town, uh, there might be similarities, there might be differences. There might be unique challenges at Laverne that's not, um, that you don't have down the road over here and vice versa. And so every congregation is unique because uh, people are unique and every place is different. In the same way, uh, what is needed to encourage the church in, say, Soldatna is different than Nikiski, the different than Seward. So it requires listening, intentionality, relationship, things like that. But a lot of preaching and teaching and letting the Word of God be the center of our relationship is, is important. And again, this is an inherited unity. Uh, I've known 85% of the congregations my whole life through statewide events and also through state travel. There's a lot of inter-Alaska travel. Um, fishing season, you have a lot of people go down to the peninsula for three or four weeks just salmon fishing for the year. And so while they're down there for a month at fish camp, they might be investing in the life of the church down in Nikiski or in Kenai. And in hunting season, they might have a lot of Christians up in Fairbanks as they're going on moose and bear hunts and things like that. So there's already a lot of relationships and connection points. So we want to foster that. And a huge part of that is a lot of travel, especially in the summertime. Felt like I was constantly on the road um, traveling with different congregations um, around the state. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But secondly, um, as I already said, creating statewide connection points uh, to promote uh, unity, things like our statewide lectureship and our statewide church camp for you, things like that. And then um, thirdly, Developing leaders, providing connection and resources for preachers. Uh, burnout in ministry is a real thing everywhere, and it's uh, especially prevalent in Alaska, especially in the winter, um, especially among congregations where they might be isolated and don't have connection points. One of my favorite parts of preaching, because before Alaska, I was preaching north of Nashville for about four or five years and uh, in Coopertown, Tennessee. And one of my favorite parts about preaching in this area, it just seemed like there's so many resources for preachers, whether it be uh, monthly luncheons here or monthly workshops there or I can go to the Freed Lectureship here or whatever, Harding Lectureship there. There's a lot of uh, connection, a lot of access to resources, whereas there's a lot of places where you're just kind of on your own. And so we want to foster a, um, a development and pouring into preachers and elders around the state. There's a variety of ways that we pursue that. So let me just, you know, they say a picture says a thousand words. Um, you know, I was reflecting on trying to put together a coherent presentation of my life in the past, and our life in the past nine months. That's not really easy to do. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. You just try to unpack what your life has been like for the past year to someone. Uh, you kind of, it's kind of a shotgun approach. You know, well, we did this and that. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you we did this. And so they say a picture says a thousand words. So I just put up some pictures here to share a little bit about what we've done so far. So first of all, we've, we've traveled a lot and I've traveled with Mike uh, a lot around the state. We've been to, of course, the Valley Church of Christ. We've been the Anchorage Congregation a couple times. We've been to Eagle River, the Springbrook Church of Christ, which is in between Wasilla and Alaska. I know you don't have a map of Alaska in your mind, and Amber told me this afternoon I need to update my presentation and put up a map for you, so I'll do that next time. Uh, you'll see in the picture on the bottom left the, the guy to my left in the green hat. That's the preacher in Eagle River um, at Springbrook Church of Christ. His name's Ben, doing a great work there. 
Uh, but we've been to Soldotna and Seward, and we went to Kodiak Island, where we drove five, six hours south of Anchorage to Homer, uh, where uh, there's a lot, a lot of halibut fishing in that town. Got on a ferry and did an overnight ferry for eight or nine hours. Um, I just kind of slept on a booth, and, um, and then we landed in Kodiak, and we were there for about a week to encourage the church. In the top right, you can see those are the saints. Those are your brothers and sisters in, in Kodiak, and spent a lot of time investing in the young man Brandon and his new wife there doing a great work. Brandon is a, um, a great testimony to um, the preaching internship that we do. We have a summer preaching internship and then a year-long internship as well uh, where we take um, preaching students. Uh, he was from Sunset and we would take, you know, from different colleges and whatnot. And uh, we had him just travel around the state. This was a few years ago, just traveling around the state uh, working with congregations, might spend a week or two with a congregation with no preacher elders, and he's just kind of, he's kind of, he's, he's on his own doing preaching and teaching and pouring into the brothers and sisters there, and then spending a couple weeks in a church that does have a preacher, does have elders, in order to be mentored and kind of have this rotation, and our only requirement from them is to have humility and to be at least partially open to the idea of moving to Alaska. No commitments, just sort of... I, I'll say that I'm partially open to it, and that's, that's enough, and just to see what the Lord's willing to do with that small seed of faith. And so Brandon, he did the summer-long one, and then he did the year-long one, didn't make it through the year. He landed in Kodiak, and he said, hey, this is it, and he's been there for about a year now doing a really good work. We had another intern from Bear Valley this summer named Stephen, and we'll see where that goes as well. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of travel, a lot of time on the road, and even on the boat sometimes, but... Um, it's just a different life in, in Alaska, trying to make connections and hang on together. We're still a body, even if the body is kind of stretched, right? We're still a body, and we want to be manifest that body as much as we can in real time and real life together. Um, I also was, we had the statewide lectureship that's been going on for about 60 years now. The statewide lectureship, it rotates, different congregations host it. Next year it'll be in Fairbanks, but this year in April, it was in uh, the valley where we are living, the Valley Church of Christ there. That's our auditorium, and that was on Sunday morning. The brother from Anchorage was preaching that morning, and so I just had to take a picture from the back. I don't know how well it turns out. Amber always criticizes my photos. She's way better at taking photos than I am, so I kind of did a panoramic thing, but anyway, you get this... I want you just to realize that you have probably eight to ten congregations present, uh, represented in that, in that room right there. Um, eight to ten. We had probably 350, 400 people that, that morning. And singing was awesome. Singing is always encouraging. If you're not used to great singing, and you guys are fantastic singers, uh, notice that tonight. And so that was a great encouragement. So we had this lectureship on the theme, Restored in Christ. And for a handful of years now, we've been doing a leadership workshop or a leadership seminar that for the day or two leading up to it. And so I, I ran that seminar this year on the theme of missional leadership. As leaders, how do we help our congregation move into the mission of God in our own context? We know God's mission is to seek and save the lost, to make disciples of all nations. But what does that look like here and now in this time, in this place? And that requires discernment, that requires intentional equipping, that requires um, patience and trust in God defining what success looks like, because 
If you've ever been in any sort of uh, leadership role in the church, you know that it can be very discouraging because you think, am I bearing any fruit whatsoever? And so trusting that, that we are leaders, but we are not the head, and that Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of his church. And so that was all rooted in the book of Nehemiah, and we see that embodied in Nehemiah. But that was a great opportunity as well to help equip leaders. The month of July is all things church camp. And I had to include a picture of Patsy up there. I don't know if she, she hasn't seen this picture yet. Um, but that was, uh, this is our church camp, Midnight Sun Bible Camp, out on, uh, uh, on Lynx Lake. It's about, uh, I'd say probably 20, 30 miles north of Wasilla, and then seven miles just down a dirt road. And that seven miles takes longer to get down than the 30 miles getting up. Um, but it's, this is a, a property that we have owned since, again, the 1960s. And um, this is a time and opportunity for youth and young adults to connect from all around the state. And so you have a host of different types of retreats and gatherings out there. And we have two main weeks of camp. The primary week, grades one through six, Amber and I were head boys and head girls counselors and overseeing all the counselors and making sure they had what they needed. And, and then we had uh, senior week that Mike and I, with his goofy face you can see in his selfie there, he's been, that's been a running tradition now for too many years um, of just gather around and take a picture. And so I told him, I'm going to take the goofy one, not the serious one, because um, he did that as well. But him and I co-direct this uh, senior week together, uh, grade 7 through 12. And we had about six preachers from around the state on our staff, and that's an intentional move because we want, we want there to be uh, an on-ramp uh, connection point from camp to the rest of the year. And so we had about five or six baptisms that week, and... Uh, most of them were done by the preachers from those congregations as they've been studying with these teens. And so trying to make things sustainable as much as possible. And also having a lot of fun inner tubing and water skiing and, and things like that. The last thing I will say um, about our activity before I wrap it up, and I have no idea how much time I have if I've gone over, but I'm, I'm leaving here in a week or two. So you can blame Josh for, for inviting me. Um, we had the, the Madison... Church of Christ in Madison, Alabama, sent a group of 35 on a mission trip uh, in beginning or mid mid June, and this was something that just sort of happened. Uh, we weren't planning for this to happen, but when I was presenting about the work in Alaska, the potential work in Alaska, and what we were hoping to accomplish to different congregations, including you, there were several afterwards that hey, hey, we would love to go because everyone wants to go to Alaska and. In case you don't know, you don't have to go on a cruise. You can just come up, and uh, you're welcome at any time to come up and get to work. Um, but we had several, especially like youth ministers, and I said, hey, we'd love, to, we'd love to send a group up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah, let's talk about it. And, and that just kind of happened several times. And then uh, Richard Turner, one of the youth ministers at Madison, he, uh, he's, him and I were friends at Freed Hardeman when I was in school, and he called me up and he said, hey, uh, we send our juniors and seniors every other year on a foreign mission trip. And normally we go to Ukraine, but we can't do that right now. And you guys are kind of foreign. So um, I said, yeah, we are kind of foreign. You know, come on up. And so one thing led to another. And they sent up a group of 35, a mix of juniors and seniors and their parents. And it was a really fruitful 10 days or so where they conducted a mom's morning out for the community. There's a lot of young families in our church, a lot of young families in our community. Uh, and so sort of like this really massive VBS for four days from 9 to 1. 
advertised it, reached out to the community. We made a lot of connection to the community in that way and were able to follow up with several families and still are following up with several families. So they, they conducted that, they, they ran the whole thing. And then around that, there was a lot of outreach where they, they spent time with giving treats to first responders or there's a bunch of engineers on the, in the group. So they brought the engineer, some of the chap, adult chaperones went and did some service work for Ben in Springbrook at the Eagle River Congregation because he had a very Job-like experience that winter where he slipped on the ice and broke his back and uh, carport, there's too much snow on it, collapsed the carport and crushed his only vehicle that was part, uh, given to him from a sponsoring congregation because he's on, on financial support to be up there and uh, just health issues and all sorts of things, just kind of one thing after another. And so we wanted to invest in churches, invest in leaders. And I said, hey, you know, is there anything we can do? And so they sent a group of five, ten people down there, and they cleaned up the whole carport, all the degree, and the, all the debris. And then the staircase that connected the church house to the church was old and rotten and rickety and closed off. And so they bought some lumber, and they, they fixed it up, and, and they were really able to pour in and encourage him. And so um, I say this for two reasons. One, I just want to share about the good work that you were partnering with, that, that happened, that just sort of, that God opened this door of opportunity in, in a way that I wasn't looking for or pursuing. But secondly, this kind of opened up an idea of what would this look like if we it, were doing this on purpose and trying to create connection points for mission trips, short-term mission trips to come up to Alaska. Not to, for disaster relief, not uh, to, because of extreme poverty, but just to strengthen the church in Alaska. And so since then, uh, we've had and three different groups reach out to us saying, hey, we'd love to send a group up um, in summer of 2024. So just ask you to include that on your prayer list, and we'll see what happens. And if one or three or none of those come up at all, and, but one of those just reached out just two or three days ago. And so we are, we're excited because God's continuing to open the doors of opportunity. But I hope that gives you a snapshot of, of what God is doing in Alaska, what we're trying to partner with him uh, and what he's doing in Alaska, and what you are partnering with as well, again, as a reminder that you are partners in the gospel, not, not just bystanders. And so we, we covet your prayers, and we just ask you to continue to pray for us. And the, the church here has my, my contact information, and anyone here is welcome to reach out to me anytime, and uh, phone call or email or, or what have you. And we just, we're so thankful for you and feel affectionately for you. Uh, let me end our time together uh, with... A really important quote from Christopher J.H. Wright in his book, The Mission of God. He's an Old Testament scholar and a missiologist. This is what he says, and this is a really important paradigm shift in understanding mission, not just in our context, but for the church as a whole. He says this, It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. What is he saying here? In other words, mission is not just a part of what we do, right? It's not that God just established the church and he didn't want us to be bored until he returned and so he gave us something to do. Rather, he is pursuing something. He is on mission in the world to seek and save the lost and make disciples of all nations. And he has formed the church, the body of his son Jesus, in order to accomplish that mission, Another way of saying this is that the church is the instrument through which God is accomplishing his purposes and goals in the world. And that's a really important paradigm shift, that you are added to the Lord's church 
because the church is the vehicle and instrument through which God is using to accomplish his mission. So if you remember in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That word sent is very important because the word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means to send. So the idea behind mission is that we are a sent people. And that's rooted in this idea that in the same way that Jesus was sent, so too are we sent. Jesus is sent from the Father, and Jesus and the Father send the church out into the world to make disciples of all nations. That we are not just a church, we are a missionary church. Not just in Alaska, but in Laverne, Tennessee. That you are a sent people. You are a sent people for this time and this place. And so how do we prayerfully discern what God is calling us to do at this time and this place, in this community, in Alaska, and around the world? God is on mission in the world. God is on mission in Alaska. God is on mission in the Verne. And so my challenge to you uh, tonight is, uh, are you participating in this mission? See, I, I, don't, I know some of you. I don't know most of you. Uh, I know this church, and we love this church very much. But my challenge to you is wherever you find yourself, what is the next step of faith you need to take to grow and to be more Christ-like for the sake of the world? So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you haven't taken that first step, let me challenge you to do so, to be baptized into Christ, to be united with him, to be buried, to be raised, to walk in newness of life, committing yourself to grow and grow and grow until the Lord returns. But if you're here tonight, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're feeling kind of stagnant. Let me remind you what you already know, that there's no retiring from the Christian faith and that we are all part of God's, part of Christ's body and he is the head of this church. And so grow, grow, grow until the Lord returns. So what's this next step you need to take? What's the next step your family needs to take? And collectively, what's the next step this congregation needs to take to be faithful to your calling, to be part of God's mission? Whatever it, e whatever it is, I encourage you to reflect. And if we can help you in any way this evening, come forward now as we stand and sing this invitation. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.